0: Welcome to the Monterey podcast. For more information, check out our website at montereychurch.com. Well, for those of you much younger than me, what you just heard was a clip from a radio program where you had to tune in at the same time every day to the right station. Back in my day, there was no such thing as a podcast that you could download and listen to at your convenience, just like me reminding my children of how easy they had it. They did not have to walk two miles to school in the snow, uphill both ways, like I did back in the day. Out of curiosity, how many of you recognize the voice in that clip? And a good many of you in this room. Uh, Paul Harvey Uh, who died in 2009 at the age of 90, was an American radio broadcaster for ABC News Radio. His news broadcast, called News and Comment, aired in the morning and at noonday, midday, each weekday, Monday through Friday, and on Saturdays at noon from 1951 to 2008, uh, just a year before his death. His programs reached as many as 24 million people per week. He was known for the catchphrases that he would often use at the beginning or the end of his program, such as, hello Americans, this is Paul Harvey. Stand by for news. But I suspect those of us who remember his programs especially remember the program from which we just heard that little clip. Program entitled, The Rest of the Story program that aired Monday through Friday as a mid-afternoon drive counterpart to the noontime news and comment. The rest of the story consisted of stories presented as little known or forgotten facts on a variety of subjects with some key elements in the story, usually the name of some well-known person held back until the end. And so the broadcast always concluded with some variation of the tagline, and now you know the rest of the story. And typically, as he told people stories, he would reference some moment or some event or a series of moments or events that affected the rest of the story for that person's life, like the recording you just heard regarding Walt Disney. Well, last Sunday, as Sam said, was Easter Sunday. The most significant story that we can ever tell. Jesus, the Messiah, was crucified on Friday, but Friday was not the end of the story. Saturday was not the end of the story. Easter morning came, and the resurrection affects the rest of the story. The rest of the storyline of all of history, but the resurrection also speaks into and affects my story and your story. In fact, let me read the text that was referenced in the opening video this morning. When you look at all four Gospels, there are a number of resurrection appearances. And then this scene where Jesus ascends back into heaven. Matthew 28, verse 16. And then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but notice, some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Uh, Several important pieces in that text. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus That's at the heart of the gospel story. Not only is it good news, it is the best news imaginable. It is the most significant story in all of human history. And Jesus invites us to share that story with others, to make disciples of all nations. And even though Jesus ascended back into heaven, we live with the promise that he is always with us. We live with His presence. We live with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we live with the promise that He will come again. In fact, the opening lines of the book of Acts, uh, picking up where the gospel of Luke left off, as Jesus is gathered with those disciples, suddenly He begins ascending into heaven. And as the disciples look up into the sky, no doubt with all sorts of questions, two men dressed in white, stood beside them and assured them that this Jesus that they were watching ascend would also one day come again. But the phrase in that text from Matthew 28 that I really want to use as a launching pad uh, for this new series, the rest of the story, is the phrase where the text says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. And certainly that is the response that we make when we encounter the resurrected Jesus. But did you notice the rest of that phrase? They worshiped him, but some doubted. To use the language from last week, we recognize that even though the resurrection has taken place, our stories are still filled with our share of Fridays. Our stories are still filled with our share of Saturdays, with moments of doubt and fear and heartache and disappointment and uncertainty. But the resurrection reminds us again and again that Friday is not the end of the story. Saturday is not the end of the story. And so we lean into Sunday morning. If you will permit me, we lean into a phrase like, and now, and now, you know the rest of the story. And you see that in the lives of so many men and women in the New Testament, how the resurrection affected their stories, their lives, even in the midst of the challenges and the struggles they faced. The apostle Peter, for example, who even after seeing the resurrected Jesus was tempted to go back to what he knew best, And so when you read that story in the Gospel of John, when Peter says, let's go fishing, I don't think it was Peter simply saying, let's go fishing for a day, guys. I think the temptation is to go back to what he knew best. You think about the story of Thomas, the apostle who doubted the resurrection. But Jesus did not push him away. He invited him to see the scars and the wounds of his resurrected body. And Thomas's life was changed forever. The rest of the story. The story of Mary, the mother of Jesus. The story of the Apostle Peter who experienced the resurrected Jesus on the Damascus Road. Over the next several weeks, we're primarily going to explore moments in the life of the Apostle Peter how the resurrection dramatically changed the rest of his story, and yet ha- how Peter still struggled in his journey of faith, that those mountaintop experiences as well as the valleys that Peter would walk through, but to recognize that his Fridays and his Saturdays were not the end of the story. And as we explore those moments in Peter's life, you're also going to have the wonderful opportunity to hear from a number of Monterey folks how their stories, in the midst of the challenges that they have walked through, how their stories did not end, in the disappointment of their Friday and Saturdays. All the way through this series, I want you to hear the rest of the story. For today, if you will permit me, I want to share a part of my story with you. And by way of footnote, here on the beginning, uh, let me express my deep love and appreciation to this church family. Debbie and I began our 22nd year of ministry with Monterey on April the 1st, just a few days ago. Like any church, like any ministry, we've had our share of mountaintop experiences and we've had our share of valleys, and that is part of the ongoing challenge of life and church and ministry, even as I reflect on the past week, some mountaintop moments, but some valleys as well. And yet, through all of that, you have been such an incredible blessing in our lives, and we are grateful, and we want you to know that. I'm 66 years old. By the way, a young 66. I don't know what the future holds, but I hope to continue doing this for quite some time. And I've got to tell you, as we think about the future, I'm excited about what God has in store for this church family as we step into the next part of the story. One reason that I'm so grateful for Monterey is, even though we don't, don't, don't do it perfectly, one reason I'm so grateful is that we as a church seek to be a church that is Christ-centered, grace-oriented, and spirit-led. And I want you to hear those three phrases. Christ-centered, grace-oriented, and spirit-led. I'm grateful that our mission is as simple and yet as profound as love God, love others. Christ-centered, grace oriented spirit led there's still plenty of room for me to grow for us to grow in those directions but part of my story is that it took me a good while especially early in ministry to reach that point as most of you know i grew up in a christian family began preaching as a teenager did my undergraduate work in bible at a small christian university in another state i am so grateful for that heritage But as I reflect on my journey, if I am honest, I grew up being pretty legalistic. Pretty legalistic in my understanding of righteousness. Pretty legalistic understanding of faith and church. For example, we didn't talk much about grace except to say you can fall from it. And we didn't talk much about the Holy Spirit except to say here's what the Holy Spirit doesn't do. When I graduated from college in 1976, I was convinced that I had all of the answers to all of the questions that anyone could ever ask. And if I couldn't give you an immediate answer, that answer was in a set of notes somewhere from one of my Bible classes. But but hear me clearly, even beyond that, my righteousness was based on the fact that I had all the answers. I held all the right positions on any topic you might pose? Well, I don't know that I recognized it at the time, but looking back, hear me, looking back, I was not Christ-centered in my faith. My righteousness did not hinge on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. My righteousness was on the basis of having all of the right answers, holding all of the correct positions. My life and ministry were certainly not grace-oriented. In fact, if you had asked me to define grace back in those days, and I almost did this in this kind of literal way, if you had asked me to define grace, it would have been something like, you do everything you can do, and then Christ will make up the difference. Christ will fill in the gaps. Versus my understanding of grace, and I believe I'm correct, my understanding of grace from Scripture that says, it is only by grace that I am saved. And again, the Holy Spirit, we just didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. And so I graduated from college, preached for a little church in West Tennessee for a couple of years, and then Debbie and I moved to Shreveport to do youth ministry. I only did that for about 18 months, but 18 months that were so significant on so many different fronts. Let me share with you two things that happened during our 18 months there that are important to this piece of the story that I'm telling this morning. One, I'm doing youth ministry. One, I decided I didn't like young people. (laughs) And to all of the young people in the audience, I say that tongue-in-cheek because I absolutely uh, love young people. I love teaching young people. I love interacting with young people. I love cutting up with the kids in this church. But I discovered very quickly that youth ministry was not my gift. And so I honor those who do youth ministry. I honor those who do it so well in this church. But that also ties with the second piece from those 18 months. In that youth ministry context, I began to discover grace. In our first summer there, I directed a week of camp. I taught the morning Bible class for the high school students. The camp had both junior high and high school students. I taught the morning Bible class for the high school students and we studied the book of Romans together. Had a young man, I was only about 22, 23 at the time, had a young man who was 19 who had just finished his freshman year in college as a ministry major. He was my intern that summer. On the first morning as I'm teaching from the book of Romans, maybe 15 minutes into the class, he raised his hand and he asked, So do you even know what grace is? You can imagine my frustration. I'm standing there thinking, I'm the youth minister. I'm the college graduate. You're the 19-year-old punk. How dare you challenge me? And so I basically told him to be quiet. And he was for about 10 minutes. And then he raised his hand again and he asked me, have you even read the book of Romans all the way through? And that time, I basically told him to be quiet and we would talk after class. By the way, lingering footnote, he and I became closest of friends, still have some contact with one another even to today. But as we met one another after that class, he said, I suspected with all sorts of arrogance, reflecting back again, I think with the best of intentions, he said, let me challenge you. Would you tonight, before you teach this class again in the morning, would you read the book of Romans all the way through, and would you underline the word grace every time you see it? And for whatever reason, I did that evening. I'd read Romans before. I'd listened to lectures on the book of Romans. But I'd never seen grace the way I began to see grace that evening. With tears in my eyes, I began to come to grips with the fact that I had placed my confidence in my works, in my understandings, rather than in the grace of God. It was during that summer that I was introduced to the little book by K.C. Mosier that many of you know, The Gist of Romans, and other books that Mosier wrote, pointing us to grace. Grace. And as much as I love the book of Romans, even to this day, it was also during that summer that I began to read the book of Ephesians again and again and again. And I'll tell you very quickly today, my favorite epistle in the New Testament is the book of Ephesians, including these lines from chapter two. As for you, Paul says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient, all of us, all of us also lived among them at one time. And I began to come to grips with the fact that I might not be the center in the ditch, but I was the center who thought I had it all together. And so Paul says, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings God raises up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For We are God's handiwork. We are God's masterpiece. We're created in Christ Jesus in order to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And even though I'd read it numerous times, I discovered all over again a little verse in 1 John chapter 1. I wish I had time to read an entire, uh, an entire paragraph, but this verse in uh, 1 John chapter 1 verse 7, where the writer says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' His Son purifies us from all sin. That verse is part of an overall context that reinforces the idea that we're saved by the cross of Jesus, by the grace of God. Not only my past, but my ongoing walk with Jesus. The tone of the paragraph, including even the verb tenses that are used in the paragraph, is that the blood of Jesus keeps on purifying me. Just like if you stand under a waterfall, you stay wet. If you stand under the blood fall, and by the way, when you read 1 John, he's not talking about his being perfect, but if you stand under the blood fall, you stay forgiven, you stay cleansed. That's what makes me righteous. And I discovered another verse that comes just a bit later in that same letter. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that's what we are. It's one of those verses that I have difficulty reading without getting choked up that in spite of me, God lavished his love on me. Now, I hope you're hearing me clearly because when I reflect on my life, I've been a pretty good guy all of my life, but that's also where I place my confidence. and Because I was a good guy, I was guilty of judging and condemning everybody who wasn't as good as me or or, or who didn't hold the same positions that I held on any number of issues. I became so judgmental and so condemning. I could point to so many other moments in my story that are part of the rest of the story. My decision to spend three years in graduate school when Debbie and I were 26 with two small children, but when I was at a point of wondering, is ministry really what I want to do for the rest of my life? A series of lectures that Landon Saunders gave during my three years in graduate school that profoundly affected how I look at ministry, even to this day, as I came to grips, as Landon would put it, with how the world looks at the church. And how the world often, whether it's fair or unfair, how the world often sees the church as little more than uh, judgmental and condemning. Words that still need to be heard today. I could point to so many other moments in my story, but let me reference one other moment that will lead to the text that is at the heart of my personal philosophy of ministry. And some of you have heard me tell at least part of this story. It's a moment that happened 30 years ago, give or take, but it's still etched in my mind like it was yesterday. And in many respects, it parallels the story from that camp experience when I was just a young youth minister. I had taken a group of ministry leaders to a leadership and worship conference in Dallas. We're talking early 1990s when a number of churches of Christ were beginning to introduce praise teams. And so one aspect of the conference had to do with how do you navigate the turbulent waters of change and conflict? But we did a lot of worship. That weekend. On the last night of the conference, the worship focused on the cross and the resurrection. And pieces of the worship included drama, including a couple of songs that some of you will know. Thomas's song, that speaks of that moment when Thomas experienced the resurrected Jesus. And we watched that moment unfold in dramatic movements that night as Jesus appeared to Thomas and we listened as the actor playing Thomas sang that song. And the song Rabboni, that moment when Mary experienced the resurrected Jesus, and we watched that unfold in dramatic movements as well with Jesus appearing to her and with one of the women in the group singing that song. And while my ongoing journey of faith had moved in the direction of being Christ-centered, grace-oriented, and spirit-led, i got to tell you, church, I broke down during that worship, could not contain myself, could not quit crying, and I realized as profoundly as I've ever realized that my righteousness before God is all about God's grace it is all about the cross of Jesus. It's not about me being right or having to be right on every issue. It's not about me having all of the right answers. In fact, I thought about even that group of 12 apostles that Jesus pulled together. Think about that grungy group of 12 apostles that Jesus pulls together and ultimately points them to what matters most in life. And yet, as he begins that journey with those 12 apostles, you've got a couple of guys One a zealot and one a tax collector who politically would have been on the right and on the left. And Jesus points them to what matters most in life. It's not about me being right or having all the right answers. If I can be this bold, even in the climate in which we live today, it's not about me putting confidence in our country or in some human system or in some political party. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus and becoming more and more like him. And so I was led again and again and again to 2 Corinthians 5. I want you to hear these verses. From now on, Paul says, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Listen to him. Though at one time we regarded Christ in this way, but we do so no longer. And I can insert myself where Paul is in terms of how I once looked at people, placing people in all sorts of categories, just like Paul placed people in all sorts of categories. And Paul says, no, now through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, I look at everybody differently. I look at everybody through the cross of Jesus. Just like Paul says, once upon a time, I looked at Jesus through all of those categories. But I do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. My life, my ministry in the midst of all of my failures, is all about reconciliation. And while in my judgment, that is what the gospel is all about. It is all about reconciliation between us and God and between humanity. Because uh, while in my judgment, that is what the gospel is all about, I would submit that is also an incredible threat to many, including many believers, because we're tempted to build walls, rather than to build bridges. We're therefore Christ ambassadors, Paul said, as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Hear that line, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. I want my life and my ministry to be all about Jesus. I want this church to be all about Jesus, becoming more and more like Him. Because hear me, life is hard. And unfortunately, church is hard. I love, I love the way one preacher put it a few days ago in a little piece he wrote. And maybe you can identify with some of these lines. Church is hard hard for the person passing through the doors, afraid of judgment. Church is hard for the prodigal returning home, broken and battered by the world. Because he was a minister writing these words, he says, church is hard for the minister and his family under the microscope of an entire body. Church is hard for the girl who looks like she has it all together, but doesn't. Church is hard for the couple who fought the entire ride to church. Hopefully that wasn't you this morning. Church is hard for the single mom surrounded by couples holding hands and seemingly perfect families. Church is hard for the widow and widower with no invitation to lunch after church. Church is hard for the person singing worship songs overwhelmed by the weight of the lyrics. Church is hard for the one who's insecure in their role as a leader. Church is hard for the wife who longs to be led by a righteous man. Church is hard for the nursery volunteer who desperately longs for a baby to love. Church is hard for the single woman or single man praying that God brings them a mate. Church is hard for the teenage girl wearing a scarlet letter ashamed of her mistakes. Church is hard for the sinners. Church is hard for me. It's hard because on the outside, it all looks shiny and perfect. Sunday best in behavior and dress. However, underneath those layers, you find a body of imperfect people. Unfortunately, carnal souls, selfish motives. But here's the beauty of church. Church isn't a building. Church is a group of sinners saved by grace, living in fellowship as saints. Church is a body of believers bound as brothers and sisters by an eternal love. Church is holy ground where sinners stand as equals before the throne of grace. Church is a refuge for broken hearts and a training ground for mighty warriors. Church is a converging of confrontation and invitation where sin is confronted, let's be clear, but where hearts are invited to seek restoration. Church is a lesson in faith and trust. Church is a bearer of burdens and a giver of hope. Church is a family, a family coming together, setting aside differences, forgetting past mistakes, rejoicing in the smallest of victories. Church, the body and the circle of sinners turned saints, is where Jesus resides. And if we ask, He's faithful to come. And so even on the hard days at church, the days when I'm at odds with a friend, when I have fought with my spouse because we're late once again, when I've walked in bearing burdens heavier than my heart can handle and yet masking the pain with a smile on my face, when I've worn a scarlet letter under the microscope, when I've longed for a baby to hold or fought tears as the lyrics were sung, when I walk back in afraid and broken after having walked away. I'll remember, he has never failed to meet me there. And may we be the kind of church that walks alongside each other, that never fails to meet someone no matter where they are. May we be a church that is Christ-centered, grace-oriented, and spirit-led. May we lean into Sunday. May we lean into the rest of the story. And so let me invite you with whatever posture you're comfortable with, eyes closed, perhaps dropping to your knees, but let me invite you to stay seated and listen to the words of the song that declare the blessed assurance that is mine. This is my story. This is my song.